this is Ashley. And this is Megan. And today we are talking to Christina Whaley. She is going to tell us about uh, how her Mito story began and about um, the Mito Research Fund, which she founded about eight years ago. And we are the Mito Podcast. Yes. So Christina, why don't you go ahead and get us started. Tell us a little bit about how your story began. And if we have any questions, we will raise our hands and um, let you know uh, if we have anything we want to interject or question you about. Okay, so I'm Christina Whaley and I have two daughters, Kaylin and Karis. Kaylin is 11 and Karis is nine. And um, so Kaylin was born in 2009. Uh, we knew that there was something going on with her uh, a year when she wasn't doing too much. So she met all of her milestones until, um, until a year. Um, she was barely crawling at a year. And we started questioning like, wow, this is weird. Like she just started crawling, what's going on? Um, and so everybody was like, oh, it's fine. You know, kids walk at all different ages, da da da, don't worry. Um, so then we let a couple more months go by and uh, we decided that we wanted to do some testing to see if there was something that we needed to look in, or we just wanted to look into it and see what, what was going on. So we started, um, my aunt is a, their pediatrician. Um, she is amazing and you know she'll do anything I ask her to do, which is really great to, in the Mito world to have a pediatrician that you can text and call anytime. Yes. Um, so anyway, I, um, I asked my aunt and she started um, us with little tests here and there, just different things and um, we weren't finding anything. Um, it took us about a year, so um, when Kaylin was two and a half, uh, she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Uh, they saw some, you know, some stuff in her brain, um, some white matter in her basal ganglia. Um, oh no, sorry, that happened later. Okay, sorry, um, that was later. Okay, but before that, um, we did have a brain MRI and um, they did see some abnormalities. And um, so yeah, so we, she was just diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And at that time I was like, okay, so that's a diagnosis. We've been looking for this. This is what's going on with her. She's not walking. Um, she's, you know, barely babbling and stuff. And so um, I don't know, for some reason, I just kind of kept on looking for another answer. Um, at this time, I was pregnant with my second daughter um, when Kaylin turned two. We still had just the one diagnosis of cerebral palsy, and she was still not walking. Um, and uh, anyway, I had my second daughter, Karis. They're exactly two years apart, almost to the day. And um, so she's two years old. I have my new baby, and um, at two and a half years old, uh, I just, we just kept looking and trying to find out what was going on. I knew that there was something more because when one doctor told me that cerebral palsy just means that there's just something wrong with their brain. It doesn't mean it does. It isn't a diagnosis where to me, this is what he said. He just said, it's not a diagnosis to where it's like, this is what's wrong with her, you know, and 
like there just wasn't a reason why she would have cerebral palsy. There wasn't, he just said it just cerebral palsy just means that she's got something wrong with her brain. And I was like, okay, but why? And he's like, well, that's the other diagnosis part of it. Um, and so we decided to go to children's. We were seeing um, our doctors through Sharp. Um, they just weren't very helpful and um, actually terrible, to be honest. So we started going to doctors at Sharp. We saw a neurologist there, or sorry, at Children's, and um, he kind of pointed us toward um, the mito direction. Um, we knew about mitochondrial disease already because of just such a weird coincidence. So my in-laws have been uh, fundraising for mitochondrial disease research for 20 years, and they so because of my mother-in-law's good friend had a daughter who passed away um 20 years ago of mitochondrial disease and so they've been fun helping her fundraise every year for it um so we knew about mitochondrial disease it was never in our radar because it's so rare that we just never would have thought that that would have been it so we decided to go to this doctor. He did a test. He ran a panel, and he found out that um, that Kaylin has mitochondrial disease. She has NARP, um, neuropathy, ataxia, retinitis pigmentosa. And um, so she was two and a half when we actually got that diagnosis. Um, we had seen a doctor, another doctor, a mitochondrial disease specialist, um, a researcher actually. Um, we had given him all of her files to try to figure it out. He is actually the one that led the neurologist at Children's to find this, um, to find this out. And um, so when she was two and a half, she got the diagnosis. And then from there, we just knew that Karis would have it also. Um, because she also wasn't crawling um, at six months and she was delayed in her milestones. And he told me that because Kaylin had it, um, he also had tested me at that time um, and he had found that I have a 15% mutation of my mitochondria with the NARP diagnosis. And so he told me that there was a 100% chance that Karis, my six month old, was gonna have it as well. So what um, tests were they actually doing? Did you do a muscle biopsy? Did you do a blood test? Or what did they actually do to come up with uh, NARP? So the NARP diagnosis was, was with blood. Um, it was a point blot mutation test. I don't really, I don't know the name of it or whatever, but um, yeah, it was a blood test that determined the NARP. So basically what they do, and then so what, what they did for us was they tested my whole family. So all of my siblings, I have five siblings and there's six of us. Um, we all went in and, um, got tested at this lab at UCSD. Um, and it came back that I was the only one that had the mutation, um, and, and at 15%. And I said, well, how do you like, how do you find that out or whatever? And he's like, oh, we just kind of eyeball it. We just take the vial and we look at it and we're like, oh, that's about 15%. I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, with Kaylin and Karis, um, they have an 85% mutation. Um, and so again, that was an eyeballed looking at the vial, like. And that's about 85%. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So, um, yeah, that's how we found out. So is it a specific gene that's affected? It gene. is. And I don't know the numbers. Okay. It's never been interesting. Like that, that part of it has never been like 
not interesting. It has never been like important really for diagnosis. It doesn't help me in any way. Um, it's like N995 or something like that, but like, I don't know, it means nothing. So it's super arbitrary and I just don't really get into like the actual like mutation of the gene and the, I don't know, like that part of it, like it's just super random and arbitrary to me that doesn't really matter. So both of your girls are obviously um, older now, and we know that uh, with mitochondrial disease, only 50% of children live past the age of 10. And your girls, like my son Troy, um, are definitely getting to that age or have surpassed it. Um, so what is daily life like for you with Kaylin and Karis? Um, well, they don't go to school. They are um, homeschooled. Um, they do go to school for about maybe like a month out of the school year, um, but they have their own little classroom. Our, our school district is really small and super accommodating. And so they're willing to give us their own little classroom with their own aid. And then the teacher kind of pops in and out during the day. They have all of their services in there and then they just kind of like sanitize and, you know, make sure that they're all super clean and healthy um, before seeing the girls. Uh, but we, we always end up taking them out uh, normally November through May, or sorry, through April, uh, just because even though they're already isolated at school, like it just makes me nervous that it, during the flu season that somebody can bring something in. So we just, we send them to school August, September, October. Okay, so it's a little longer than a month. <laughs> August, September, October, and then they go back like at the, I don't know, middle of May or June. So they kind of go to school about four months a year. It's just split up weird. Um, but at this time we are home fully full-time my husband's stay-at-home dad and they have services come to the house we have PTOT speech they have their own personal trainer um, they also go to uh, equestrian therapy and um, yeah so daily life is at home they have a really awesome therapy room that we through um, Make-A-Wish and um, special rooms for special kids. And it's really perfect for them because they have their own space to be able to run around and, or not run around, crawl around <laughs> and, um, and play and just enjoy life. And they have a really awesome turf area uh, that they're enjoying right now, actually. And yeah, so daily life for them, I mean, they're used to being homebound. Um, they like being here. They're best friends. They never fight. They love each other so much. And um, they are just perfect, perfect little angels and, um, really enjoy life. Um, so in 2019, you had both a, um, without a better way of saying it, like a really hard year, but also a really great year. Um, can you go into a, a little bit of both, both with, um, what happened that caused you guys to go to the hospital and then any supplements that you started since the hospital that has shown to help and give any improvement? So every year they, like I was saying, they go to school up until um, about November. And unfortunately the last three years, um, the reason why we stopped going to school in that month was because one of them got hospitalized. So um, they both go to the hospital every year. Um, well, one or the other, it's actually, they've never both been there in the same year, which is good. But um, one, of, one or the other of them will go to the hospital every year around um, November, December, January. 
regardless of, of, of them being in school or not, um, somehow they contract the flu every year. And um, this year in October, uh, early October, Karis got, a, well, no, actually, it wasn't even the flu. So she got a cold in um, like August or September. No, it's like September. So like in September, she got a cold and it lasted a long time. Um, she was kind of, I don't know, fine. Um, and then we just kind of noticed that her energy kept decreasing since then, since, since September, early September. And that whole month, we just noticed that she was different. And then she got to the point to where she stopped crawling. Um, so, so baseline, uh, both of my daughters can crawl. They don't walk independently. Um, and she stopped being able to crawl. Um, she just was super, super weak. And um, we took her into the hospital and they told us that she was acidotic. Um, she was in the hospital for about a week and they were just trying to get her um, lactic acid levels under control and hydrate her. So she was super hydrated um, and they just said she was just acidotic. So that's why she was in the hospital. Um, and so then we were there for about a week. We got discharged on a Wednesday and that day, that night, so we got discharged in the morning and that night um, we were at home and she was kind of breathing weird. And then um, I just like, just kept thinking like, God, why is she breathing so weird? Like what's going on? Like she's, I know she's hydrated. We just left the hospital. We were there for a week. They discharged us today. Like why is she acting so weird? And so I ended up putting her in bed with me and I just like kept kind of checking on her. Um, and then she got a fever and then it went away and it was just like a really weird situation. Like it was a really low fever too. It was only like 99.8 or something. But, um, all of a sudden I just like woke her up. I woke my husband up. She wasn't really responsive. Um, I didn't know what was going on. And then she, um, I looked at her nails and her nails were blue. Her breathing was really shallow. So we called 911. The ambulance came. Um, when they got there, her oxygen level was at 30%. Uh -oh. um, and her blood sugar was like four, almost 500, 480 or something. And um, so immediately they started giving her um, an ambu bag with breaths, artificial breaths. And um, they, they started an IV in, in the ambulance and um, got her on oxygen, got her to, this was the day that we got, that we got discharged from the hospital um, that night, like she just almost died. Um, and so what happened was she just had a metabolic crash. Her body just crashed completely and just gave up. Um, and then she ended up being in the ICU for a couple weeks. Uh, children's um, hooked up to a bunch of stuff and just fighting for her life. And it was definitely the scariest, most horrible situation I've ever seen in my life. Um, not knowing if she was going to make it or not. Um, for no reason. There's no reason for it. She had a cold like a month before that, like nothing happened for her to have a metabolic crash. Like she didn't have a flu. She didn't like nothing happened. Like how does this just happen out of nowhere to a perfectly like normal nine-year-old with mitochondrial disease. Like, I don't know. I feel like it just came out of nowhere. And, um, 
it shouldn't have definitely shouldn't have happened the day that we got discharged from the hospital. Uh, and it was really weird because, uh, she no longer had acidosis. So she wasn't acidotic. She had like the opposite problem. Um, and so they were trying to correct everything. I mean, everything, her whole body was out of whack. Everything was either high or super low. And, um, they ended up giving her blood transfusion, um, to get her, I don't even remember, like there's just so much going on. There are so many tubes and so many machines and so many doctors and so much stuff happening um, and so much screaming and crying and from her, <laughs> me too, I guess. <laughs> um, and uh, it's just so much going on that is like kind of like a blur now. Is there, before you go into the next part, is there anything that you recommend for parents when they're in that situation? Um, meaning, like taking notes, have a notebook with you, or is there anything that you wish or that you were prepared to have for them if there's a next time? Yeah, I mean, I have an oxygen tank now. Um, so, and I have a uh, pulse ox machine. Um, I think that the pulse ox helped me sleep at night. So after we got out of the ICU, um, she slept in my bed until last week. So that was since... Um, November. So she got out on, on, uh, Halloween night, she got out of the hospital. So since November 1st, she's been sleeping in my bed and now it's April 1st. So, um, and what helped me sleep through the night and what has, what kind of, what gives me peace of mind is knowing that I have a pulse ox machine that I can always check her oxygen and always check her pulse and know where she's at. Um, and that will help me make a faster, quicker decision on calling 911, um, I was definitely very reluctant because I just didn't know, I don't know, her breaths were just like shallow, but like, I don't know, I, I can't, I, I go back to that night all the time and think like, why did I wait an hour and a half to call 911? Um, I just didn't realize that she was, I don't know. I just didn't think that that could happen. I didn't think that she could just go from getting discharged from the hospital to almost dying that night at home. Like I didn't know that that was a possibility. So the pulse ox, um, the oxygen tank. Um, I also, um, talked to my, uh, paramedic friends and, um, I, they put a note in the system so that when I call, they know exactly what they're dealing with. Um, and so they put in there that I have two children that are nonverbal with mitochondrial disease. Um, I, they also put in there, my house is a little bit hard to get to we live in the guest house of the, in, of my in-laws property. And so when the ambulance came, they were down at their house and they needed to come up to ours. And so they parked down there and then they ended up walking up the driveway, which took longer. Um, so yeah, a lot of those kinds of things. Um, so sending in that information to the paramedics, um, in Alpine where I live is going to be helpful hopefully for them. Um, I have an Ambu bag now so that if I ever notice that her breathing is shallow, I can, you know, give her artificial breaths myself um, with, and knowing, you know, how to use that. I have a, um, a glucose monitor so I could check her blood sugar if I ever have a question. So yeah, I mean, I feel a lot better now having all of these resources at home, um, kind of like a little mini ER just to kind of keep her or to check just for my own peace of mind if I think that anything's off. And also um, so that I know to call an ambulance sooner had I had the pulse ox, had I had a, glu a glucose monitor, I would have never thought to check her glucose, but 
um, I don't know, now that I have those things, I'm be like, check this, check that, whatever, and then let's call. Um, so I do feel more prepared. Well, I think too, we've talked about how this is such, having a child with Mito or even someone who themselves has Mito, it's such a learning curve. So many different things happen and you learn from those situations and, you know, your daily norm becomes different and, you know, different things throughout their lives. And obviously you learn so much from going through that with Karis and, you know, having those things. I mean, um, there's been times where we've called the ambulance with Troy and him not being responsive. And it's just, you know, every situation you just learn so much more because there isn't a lot of guidelines with this because every child is different. Um, and so, you know, it's definitely these things are horrific when they happen and you're, you know, appreciative when they become healthy again, but it's all such a learning experience for everyone. You never know, should I, could have, would have, what do I, what would I have done? You know, it's just so hard because you're living in the moment and you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, for me, it seems, you know, when your kid child gets sick, it's almost different every time. Or if it is the same, you're thankful, but it seems like new things arise. I know Troy, gosh, he hasn't had a cold or been sick in so long. And it's, you know, it's, I'm so thankful, but it's also, it's always fearful. It's like, well, he's 12 years old now. How is he going to respond if he does get sick? You know, as they get older, this is progressive, what's going to happen. So it's just such a learning experience every time you go through um, these different challenges with them. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's great to hear all these different um, experiences and for people to hear them because I mean, it, there's a lot. I mean, each story that we tell, there's always going to be a ton of information and it, it's going to sound intimidating and scary. And I don't want people to feel like, oh, I need to go buy all these things right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are things that are going to help you. There are things that would be great if you have them. Um, like Angie, we did have a glucose machine, but my stepdad, we didn't have a pulse ox machine. We didn't use I did um, check your oxygen and your heart rate at night. We wrapped her up with it. Oh, you can't hear me? Oh, uh, we were cutting out a little bit. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, for everyone, we're <laughs> literally doing this <laughs> via video chat here. <laughs> right. Um, so let me go uh, back just a little bit just to see what you guys uh, could or could not hear. Um, I was just saying that uh, Angie, we had a um, glucose machine for her, but my stepdad is diabetic, so he had an extra one that he was able to give us um, for a um, for monitoring her her oxygen and her heart. We had an outlet, which is really easy to get, um, and and there's socks that go with it. That goes for us. We obviously didn't have to um, um, uh, expand much more off of that because we lost Angie. So um, the socks that we had were perfect for her size. For a child, it's going to be different. The bigger their foot, um, obviously, will graduate from an outlet to something like what Christina is talking about. But um, don't panic uh, when you hear us talk about all of these different things because, like Megan said, it's it's a learning process and and every child is completely different and your experience might be completely different, but these are all great ideas and things to keep in mind um, so that you're aware of them. And if you want to go out and, and get some of these things to help your peace of mind, then maybe write a couple of these things down and talk to your doctor or 
for family um, about if they have any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to kind of segue into um, talking about uh, the new supplement that you started giving the girls because it's such a, a positive um, thing. And every time I see you post, it's always these amazing videos of all of these things that they're doing that they may may either have lost the ability to do before or things that they've never done before that they're doing now. And it's just amazing. Can you share that with us a little bit? Yeah. So we started a couple different supplements while we were in the hospital, um, not really knowing if it was going to do anything or not. Um, we started creatine. We got a super awesome, well, actually you got it. <laughs> Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> awesome uh, pharmaceutical grade uh, creatine. And we also started uh, the NAC, which is the acetylcysteine. Um, I'm not really sure which one or if both or if either of them is actually responsible for what's going on with them now. Um, There's, I mean, we had a couple other changes at home. We have um, these phenomenal teachers that come to the house uh, every week. Well, not anymore, but they were coming to the house pretty consistently um, like literally the best teachers ever. And, um, so between them, the, um, the knack and the creatine, um, I do, I mean, they for sure absolutely have progressed. Um, they're doing amazing. They're stronger, they're healthier, they're happier. They're, you know, they're talking more than ever. Um, and they're just super happy and have a ton of energy. I mean, they still obviously lack um, balance and coordination. Um, so they don't walk independently, but, um, they're definitely stronger and have more of a mental capacity than they've ever had in the past. Um, they've been learning a lot. They've been remembering things. Um, I have so many stories of just, I mean, I've been, I've been logging on my phone, all the new things that they've been doing, uh, since in the last few months. And it's a lot. I was just telling my mom this morning of one that I won't talk about right now because it's kind of funny, but anyway, uh, there's a, there's just a lot of things that they're doing that shows me that their mental capacity is incredibly progressed or has incredibly progressed. Um, they're thinking, they're questioning, they're just doing things that they've never done before. So, um, I don't know if it's a combination of those things. I don't know if it was one thing or another. I don't want to take away any of them other than, I mean, we had to take away the teachers, but Um, but now they have me at home full time since I'm not at work and, um, yeah, they've just been progressing a lot. I think that's amazing and so beautiful. And it's also really important to point out because you can go from staying a month in the hospital to being able to still progress. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, what's such a wild card about Mido because you'll be at a point where you think that this is it. And then a week, two weeks later, all of a sudden, um, something amazing could happen. And like you're saying, their mental capacity just expands and wows you and surprises you. And it's just an amazing experience. I mean, um, oh, sorry, I had a pop up on my, on my zoom. <laughs> um, but it's just an amazing experience and I'm so happy to see the girls, uh, just flourish. 
Um, maybe now is a good time to segue into talking about the Mito Research Fund, how it started, um, how it's grown, and maybe where it's going. So when we got the diagnosis, um, I was very close to, um, or I became very close to my mother-in-law's friend who lost her daughter to mitochondrial disease. Um, she was my first, you know, mito friend, and um, unfortunately, she lost her daughter to mito. Um, so it was definitely not very assuring to me to have my one mito friend be somebody who had a child that passed away. Um, but she does an event every year, and her money goes to UCSD's uh, Metabolic and Mitochondrial Disease Research Clinic. Um, and I immediately just knew that I can't, after everything I read and every, everything that I found out about Mito, like I knew that I couldn't just sit there and watch my children just the years go by without doing anything. Um, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm a fighter. I'm a, I'm, I'm going to question everything and I'm going to fight for their lives and I'm going to do everything in my power to save them. So, um, I talked to her and I talked to the researcher and I asked him directly. I just said, Hey, like, what do you need? What, what, what needs to happen for you to be able to work faster or to do whatever, what needs to happen in order for my daughters to live? And he's like, well, I mean, I, and I just said, what, what do you need in your lab? Do you need, you know, equipment? Like what, what can I do? And so he said, well, I've been looking for somebody to do a, a walk. Um, he's like, we have an event. Uh, every year in um, in the fall, I would love to have one in the spring. I'm sorry, in the winter. Is that when it is? In the winter? It's in, when is it? In October? September? September, right? Yeah, it's usually generally in the fall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, he just said he's always wanted somebody to do a walk in the spring. And I was like, okay, I'll do a walk. I don't know what that means, but sure. <laughs> you do now. <laughs> I'll put on a walk. So I went to UCSD, um, talked to them about getting a foundation, a fund under their, um, under their foundation. And they uh, did this whole process, I was able to get it um, through my connections with um, the mom that had the other, found or the other fund and through the doctor, the researcher. And anyway, so I just said, okay, let's pick a date. Um, so we decided on the third weekend of May, or the third Saturday in May, and that has been our date ever since the first one, eight years ago. Um, so that was what, 2012? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 2012. Um, so I started on that and I quickly learned that it was a way bigger task than I ever could have imagined. <laughs> um, it was literally one of the worst years of my life. <laughs> um, and it, suck, it sucks to say it, but it really was. I worked so hard. I cried so much. I never stopped working. Um, I like took all of my time away from the girls. I feel like for the six months before that first walk, I didn't see them at all because I was working my full-time job. And then I was working on the walk. Um, I was doing it pretty much by myself. I had some family members um, that did a little bit here and there, but um, it was a huge event that I took on by myself and it was a lot. Um, but then the day came and that just made everything worth it. And I cried so much that day <laughs> as I had a, my sister-in-law took me aside and she like pulled me out in the distance and she said, okay, I want you to look at the event. 
She's like, you did this. And anyway, it was super emotional. It was amazing. We had about 500 people come. Um, we had vendors, we had a classic car show. We had, um, all kinds of random things. It was a, uh, Mito walk and roll. Uh, we had a stage with bands and music and food and all kinds of stuff. It was a really, really, really fantastic event. Um, ended up being just God, it was so great. Was so, so great that after that I was like, okay, I could do this. Um, and so at that point the Mito 5k was born and then I started finding other families because I knew that I needed, I needed to call in the big dogs. Um, I had for the first couple of years, I had, um, you know, friends and family that would do little bits and pieces here and there. But, um, but really it, I knew that I had to call in the moms, um, uh, because moms will do anything for their children. And, um, so I started seeking in all kinds of sneaky ways, um, different <laughs> stalking. No, I'm just kidding. Well, kind of, I guess on Facebook, <laughs> so I started finding, uh, moms and that's how I found Megan, um, which was a huge, huge blessing. And, um, and other moms that are in our group that have been really helpful. So, um, yeah. And I, I, just our story, I met you the first year that you actually did it. It was probably, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks before the walk at a Mito social. And um, yeah, definitely that first event, I didn't know what to expect, but we were blown away. And every year since, I mean, I think you are amazing. I mean, just what you have been able to do, the amount of money you have been able to raise for research is I mean, last year, what did we raise? One hundred and twenty, one hundred twenty thousand dollars. I mean, that's that's unheard of for small walks like ours. And we know because we've been to the UMDF symposiums, and we, you know, Mito Action does a great job with their walks. But uh, you are killing it. We are killing it. It's amazing, and you know, all that money goes to research, and it's just amazing what you started and what you are doing for your girls and for all of our kids. Um, it's just amazing. I'm going to get teary eyed because we always cry, right? <laughs> so, um, and, you know, meeting you is the only way that I've met all these other moms too, like Ashley. And, you know, it's just such an amazing thing that you've done. And I know that I appreciate it so much. Our family appreciates it. And we love you very much and appreciate what you do. Yeah, well, I love you guys too. And I'm super happy. I mean, it's definitely very empowering to be able to to put this on um, every year. I mean, in the last three years, it's been so much easier with you guys, <laughs> especially this last year. Oh my gosh, Ashley took the reins and literally took all of my burdens away. Um, and it's not that it's a burden, it's just, it's hard. It's hard, it's hard to do everything for your family, um, to work full time, and especially as a teacher, because your job doesn't stop when you're done teaching. You know, you take <laughs> And it continues. And um, so, yeah, it, it's been it's been really, really, really nice to have um, all of you guys on board helping out with, you know, your your parts of the um, of the event and not having it all be on my shoulders, because there was definitely a few years there where I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. It takes up so much of my time. I mean, it's definitely worth it. I mean, I've definitely seen um, the rewards of of putting this on. I mean, that the money goes into this. Um, into this research lab and 
it's not only that it's going to the research, but we all also, all of us have that relationship with these doctors and these researchers and we can reach out to them anytime we want. And, you know, we're raising money for them and they are very, very appreciative of this money and they are willing to do whatever it takes to help us. I mean, um, when we were in the ICU with Paris, um, the two doctors came in, the researcher and her mito doctor. And I just like, grab them both and give them the biggest hug and i just said save my baby i don't know what you have to do but save my baby do anything you can and they responded with okay we're gonna do everything we can rest assured that we will not stop until we have done everything we can for her um and that just was i in that moment i said every hour every minute of my fundraising and my awareness building has been made worth it by having them both here and knowing they're on our team and knowing that they're going to do every single thing in their power to save my baby. And they would do that for all of us. Um, I mean, they would do that for all of their patients, but it just felt a little bit different. It felt different um, having the researcher in addition to their mito doctor in the room with us, um, reassuring and saying like, we will do everything. And they said everything outside the box. And that's what's really nice about these two doctors is that they're opposite. One of them is a very outside the box and the other one is very inside the box, but they complement each other really, really, really well. And so I feel so safe and secure in having them and, and just, they, you know, I don't, they even said like, I'm not really sure that she needs this blood transfusion, but why not? They're like, all it's gonna do, it's not gonna harm her. Um, so, you know, um, I know that for sure the Mito doctor told me that the doctors in the ICU questioned him and said like her platelets aren't low enough for her to get a blood transfusion. And, um, he said, I don't care. He's like, they're low enough to me. So, you know, that's why he ordered it, which was just amazing because he was literally just trying everything he could to save her. He, and I don't know. I just, I know that, um, I know that they would do anything for any other patients, but I just felt, it felt different that day. And that's important. That's very important, especially when you have a child in that situation. So, and we probably should wrap this up. So, um, we are all, all three of us help with the Mito 5k that Christina started. Um, and it's mitoresearchfund.org is what you can actually go to. Um, unfortunately, because of the situation right now, we have had to do this event virtually um, this year. But um, if you've listened to our previous podcasts, you know that we as the Mito community, we are the medically fragile and this current situation um, is extremely dangerous for anyone who has Mito. Um, and so we are completely isolated. Um, and so we appreciate people still registering. We appreciate people still um, donating to this because we have to find a cure. We have to find a cure for our children. We have to find a cure for the other children and adults out there with this disease. Um, and once again, it's the mitoresearchfund.org and it's the Mito 5K. Um, and Ashley, did you wanna add anything? Just to say thank you for joining us, Christina. We really appreciate you being willing to not just share your own story, but about the Mito Research Fund and how you got started. Because I think a lot, like you said, a lot of moms and even dads 
they want to do something, they just don't know how to start. And sometimes it's not knowing something. It's just throwing yourself out there and trying to land on your feet and you will. <laughs> um, so thank you for coming and talking to us. We are the um, Mido podcast. If you have any questions or comments or any suggestions for any future podcasts, please email us at mitopodcast at gmail. And you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. We love comments. <laughs> <laughs> so please send us some. Um, and I think that's it. Yeah. So thank you for listening. And thank you again, Christina. And we will talk to you guys again soon. Bye.